Welcome again to those of you uh, picking this up online. We're at John uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And the theme today is extravagant worship. Um, and uh, I'm hoping my intention in the next few minutes is to help us think about worship uh, in, in different ways. Um, often when we think about worship, we think just about coming to church and we think about music. Um, and I think there's a beautiful irony that today uh, we had a smaller band than we sometimes do, and there were just two of us here at the front. Um, worship is not just about singing songs to God. And this reading um, will demonstrate that. John 12. So it's six days before the Passover. Jesus has come to Bethany, the place where Lazarus died. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, and so there's a dinner happening in his honor. Anyone here ever had a dinner held in their honor? Five of you. I'm sure the rest of you have had a birthday party at some point. It could be, maybe it's your birthday, maybe it's a wedding feast. Uh, sometimes there are dinners held in someone's honor. In this case, the honor was Jesus's. And so there they are, um, and they're sitting around. It says he was reclining at the table. Um, now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that phrase, reclining at the table, um, but often I think of people who are slouching. Anyone else think of people who are slouching at the dinner table and not sitting up straight? You know, and of course, if you slouch at the dinner table and you don't sit up straight, then the food falls on your lap, and that's what the napkin was for on your left-hand side, and you forgot to put it there, and then you get children covered in spaghetti bolognese. That's the worst, isn't it? Pasta, you know, because they were reclining at the table. Now, when we think of reclining, we probably think of slouching, sitting backwards, not sitting up straight. I'm going to demonstrate, and you might find this hard to see, um, but I'm going to demonstrate what reclining meant here. They were sitting around a table that was U-shaped, a big U-shaped table, and the servers would come in the middle. And so all the people were around the table. Uh, they, they were leaning on their left elbow with their feet out to one side, something like this. And I would say it's the first time I've ever laid down when I was doing a sermon, but I've, I've already done this at 9 o'clock, so I, I'm hopeful I can get back up again. Um, and they were leaning on their left elbow. I can't imagine uh, that if we were to have a parish meal and... <laughs> and we said we were going to carry out this practice that took place in Jesus' day, we're all going to recline at the table that anyone would come. But maybe we should test it out for Maundy Thursday. So there they are, um, and as, as you can see or imagine, um, Jesus' feet, everyone's feet, were laying out. So when we think of, get back up, when we think of um, feet under the table, um, see how long I can squat for here, when we, we think of feet under the table, we might think of them coming along, uh, Mary coming along and washing Jesus' feet under the table, in the same way that children sometimes like to crawl under the table, especially at fancy dinners when they're wearing bow ties, right? Um, and so we're, we're under the table and we're thinking of that. No, it was lying down. So it was actually very easy for Mary to get Jesus' feet. Uh, so yes, it all is a bit weird, but I think what I'm trying to say is, in the context of the culture, it wasn't quite as weird as we might think. Uh, they would have perhaps had servants in fancy places who would have washed their feet, and it would have been quite easy to do because they leave their feet sticking out ready to be washed. Uh, in the, from, from walking around in the dirt, the feet would get dirty. Okay, so can you picture the scene? There they are, they're all sitting around the table in the U-shape, and along comes Mary, and she comes to the outside of Jesus, and she pours a perfume on his feet. 
And the perfume, it says, is worth, uh, from the Greek, about 300 denarii. And a denarii was uh, the, the currency of the time, and it basically meant a day's wages for a laborer. Now, I'm not sure exactly how much the day's wages of a laborer would be here in Maple Ridge. Um, and perhaps I should have researched and found out. But we can picture it's, it's a lot of money. Multiply that by a year. It's a year's wages, 300 denarii, because they work six days a week. And I guess had two weeks off. I was trying to do the maths as I was reading the commentary, thinking, how, how is it 300? How is that a year? It's because they work six days. So that's how expensive this perfume is. Imagine taking whatever it is that you earn, the entirety of your pension or the entirety of your salary, or if you do more than one job, combining it together, buying a perfume worth that much money, and then pouring it out over somebody. That, I would suggest, is extravagant. Are you with me? It's extravagant. And here, in this context, it's not just any old person, it's Mary, it's a woman. And so, in that context, uh, this would have been um, quite, quite absurd. There's this woman pouring out perfume on Jesus' body, and then she wipes um, with her hair. The long hair being a, a sign of, um, of, of, I guess, being blessed and prosperity and all those kinds of things at that time. So, that she had long hair, and she um, wiped his feet with it was a real honor. But what extravagance in our worship? What extravagance? Um, worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, which means to give worth to something, to ascribe worth to something, to ascribe value to something. And so when we come to church to worship, what we're doing is we're giving worth, ascribing worth to the God who created, we believe, the world and everything in it, to his son Jesus Christ, and we do so in the presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us. And so as we come to worship, we offer a sacrifice of worship. But if I was to say to you, for your worship this week, would you please bring the entirety of your year's wages and give it to the church? Probably you wouldn't come back next week. Is that fair? So we only ask for 10%, that's all. We only ask for 10%. And already people get itchy about that. I don't know if I want to give money to the church. What will the church do with it? And we find ourselves, I'll pick up the Bible, I am, I am on track. Um, we find ourselves in verse 4 with one of the disciples, Judas. Who remembers Judas? Judas Iscariot. He was about to betray Jesus. And I find, I can't help myself, as soon as Judas is mentioned, my judgment kicks in. I get very judgmental against Judas because I know he's about to betray Jesus. I have the same judgment against Peter. And I have to check myself at the door for being a judgmental person. But I'm already judging Judas. Is anyone else with me on this? Is anyone else judging Judas? Thank you. And so we hear what is said differently. Because if one of the, the, the lovely, more holy disciples came along and said, hey, we shouldn't, we should, she shouldn't have wasted that perfume and poured it on your body. She instead should have given that money to the poor. Then we say, yeah, that's a good point. But my judgment is clouded because I've heard that it's Judas. And I know about Judas. He is a dishonest treasurer. Or as they say, he's the keeper of the purse, the money bag. 
So the reason he's saying the money should be given to the poor is because if it's given to the poor, he gets to look after it. And if he gets to look after it, he can take out what he needs to do. Have any of you seen the TV show Father Ted? No. One person has. The money was just resting in my account, Bishop. Anyway, uh, Google it, but warning, warning, it's quite rude in places. So I'm not playing a clip in church. But it's quite funny. Um, Judas is the keeper of the money. And so he's, uh, he's saying, well, I, I, we should have that money. But he has the ulterior motive that he'd like some of it for himself. We know that Judas is going to go and betray Jesus, identifying him with a kiss. And so it's hard to think about what he's saying. Jesus responds straight to Judas in verse 7. Leave her alone, he says. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Just hear those words again. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial of my burial. The perfume was never going to be sold to give money to the poor. The perfume was ready uh, for anointing Jesus once he died on the cross on Good Friday. Mary knew it was coming, and so she'd set this aside with the purpose. One day, I am going to worship God by anointing his son Jesus with the most expensive perfume that there is, preparing him for burial, to give him the honor and the glory in that way. And so what she's done is she's taken that worship for one day in the future and brought it into the present. She's taken the worship for what would have been two weeks' time and said, I'm going to use it today. I'm going to use it today. I'm going to choose to worship Jesus now while he is living. How many of us have regrets when somebody dies? There's a prayer I use whenever I lead a funeral, um, which uh, came from the Methodist church in England, and I, I found it once in a funeral home, and I thought, this prayer is fantastic. It's called, If Only. It says, if only, Lord God, if only we'd taken time, if only we'd said more, if only we'd said less, we confess our regrets. And so thinking aside from worship for a moment, there's something for all of us about uh, acknowledging people in the present. Not waiting until they die to say sorry. And many of us carry regrets about things like that, but what can we do going forward? How can we um, value people in the here and the now? Uh, one of the things that churches are often really good at is celebrating people when they've completed a long uh, lifetime of ministry. Do you know what I mean? So if somebody decides to step down from being the warden, for, um, which is kind of like one of the elders and leaders of the church, someone decides to step down after serving as warden for 20 years or 30 years, uh, then we might uh, give them a presentation, we might give them some flowers or, or their favorite drink or whatever it may be. And we can be quite good at celebrating people once they've finished doing something. And of course, the downside for us as a church community is if we only say thank you uh, to people when they have finished doing something, they might decide to finish doing something quicker because they want the flowers, right? 
the perfume was there for the anointing of Jesus. And what Mary did is she took it from the future and brought it into the present. I'm not going to wait to give honor and glory to Jesus in the future. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it today. You know, for a lot of us, I think we can, um, we can go through life and say, one day uh, I will commit to be part of a church. One day I'll commit to open my Bible and reading it. One day, one day. And my encouragement for all of us as a church community is to make that day today, to choose to worship today. The extravagance of the worship that Mary offers is just amazing. We see time and again in the Bible, it's often those who have the least who give the most. That's why there are warnings, and as we've gone through Luke's gospel in, in life groups and in sermons, we, we hear those warnings about if you're rich, you'll struggle to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the reason those warnings are there is because we see that sometimes it's a heart piece. It's much easier to worship when you have less, because you have less to give up. When we come to worship, when we come to church, when we come to sing our songs, and I say, you know, raise a hand in the air if you'd like to. Um, you, you've probably heard this said before. Often um, people will, will go to a hockey game, and as soon as your team scores, uh, which probably if you're from Calgary might be more often than it is for those of you who support the Canucks. Um, sorry, Canucks fans. Um, but uh, as soon as your team scores, what's your reaction? I'm going to guess your reaction is not the Anglican one. You're probably going to raise your hands in the air, right? Or maybe it's soccer or, um, or baseball or basketball or, or whatever sport it is. Have you got an idea there? What's your favorite sport? Volleyball, yes, exactly. Maybe it's volleyball. That's awesome suggestion. Maybe it's volleyball. Whatever your favorite sport is, if someone scores on your team, you're probably going to at least let out a small cheer, even if not jump up and down. And yet we've been conditioned through the years, I think, to, to come to church and say we have to sit still or stand still. We can find it hard to express ourselves. Canadians aren't as bad as Brits, though, I have to say. British people are, are not always, sorry if you're British here, I know a few of you are like me, but I'm just speaking against my own kind here. Uh, but sometimes British people are, are very good at having a stiff upper lip and uh, as, as they call it, and, and um, it's quite hard to work out if a British person is, has enjoyed a sermon or a service or not, um, so uh, it's, it's very subtle. Canadians are, are much more expressive, which is great, but, yeah, but, but, but Brits are often very good at, at not making it clear that they actually enjoyed something, and when they really enjoyed it, they still managed to keep a straight face. Um, I practice that myself too, so uh, if you ask me if I enjoyed some, some, something and I say yes, um, there's varying degrees of yes. But I digress. The extravagance that Mary had in anointing the body of Jesus while he was living, it set an example to all those men who were sitting there. They'd invited Jesus to dinner, but all the men he was with, it set the example and said, this is what worship can look like. Worship is pouring out 
the most valuable thing that you own, the most valuable thing that we have, is our heart. Jesus isn't um, after our money. God has all the money in the world. Obviously, the church needs some money to keep going. Uh, We enjoy having the lights, recharging the batteries for my microphone, all important things to spend money on. But it's not about the money. It's about our hearts. And so the heart of our worship is about Jesus. It's about worshiping him. It's not about having the the biggest band or the fanciest lights. It's about our heart. It's not about the songs we sing. It's about our heart. What we see with Mary is she pours out her heart as she anoints Jesus' body. She doesn't wait until he's buried, which is the custom. She anoints and worships him in the present. And so my invitation for all of us today is that we do the same. We learn from Mary's example. We don't watch the men who were reclining at the table, eating their dinner. We watch the woman who came and said, this is how it's done.